what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Today they are here because what the parents have been doing Knowingly, unknowingly, their parents have done a crime or a mistake. But I would not want the same thing happen to them. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Foot Candle Films. We've got a special little episode here for you. A little break from our normal format where Chris and I will sit around and talk about film reviews and give some movie news. We actually have something a little special to hear today. We recently performed a screening of a documentary called Waiting for Mamu. Uh, and we'll tell you a little bit about that story here in just a moment. But Chris and I are joined with the writer of the film and someone who really just made it all happen, Thomas Morgan. Thomas, how you doing? Good, thank you. Good. Uh, we're looking forward to talking to you about the film a little bit. We'll give a little bit of background there. Chris is with me as well. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing good. I'm glad we, glad we have a guest. It's nice know, to have a guest. This is like one of the first times we've had a guest around the table for this show, isn't it? It is. It's it kind of nice. Right. I'm a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, I'm used to just the two of us, and I was a third person. I don't know how to handle it. Yeah, now it. if you say think bad things about the film, right? You have to right. face you know, me. No, you, you have, have to, to say, yes, we, we, shit, we right? love the film. <laughs> <laughs> no, we will. Let's just give a little background to this film. This is a film we just screened recently. We mentioned it in one of our previous episodes is upcoming. And Thomas, you can help us elaborate on it too, but we show this film and I got to tell you, it got a lot of great reaction from the crowd. I mean, we're talking about a documentary uh, of the CNN Hero of the Year award winner, Pushpa Baznate, who uh, formed a development center for children. Basically, she took this idea of, a, of almost like a child development center, uh, a place for kids to go, those that were affected by parents who had been imprisoned. And this is happening in the country of Nepal, where, and I know we can probably talk a little bit about some of the, some of the story behind this, but so in Nepal, the idea is that if kids are of, of parents that are arrested for a crime and the parents are sent to prison, if there's no other family member that can then take care of the child, the child goes to prison with the parents. Right, right. right. And it's and it's not uh, punitive towards the child. It's right. simply the economics there don't allow for them to have any other system. So the right. choice is you either send your kid out to the street or they sit in prison with you. And frankly, they're probably safer in the prison, so that's where they right. go. And um, yeah, and Pushpa, you know... We, it's developed into what would some would look at and say it's an orphanage, but it, it was her home. I mean, she basically just took her house and her home and said, let's let kids come live here and live with me. And so it's really an amazing story of a family that she creates from kids who come from various backgrounds and horrible stories. And, and, the, and the idea behind it would be, too, that if, if somebody like Pushaba didn't exist and wasn't bringing the kids out, the kids would basically grow up in the prison if their parents were there for life. That's right. And so maybe by the time they're 18 or some whatever a, a mature age they consider, then they're released back into society as adults? Or how does yes. that work? Okay. So but they can I, they can leave. I mean, the children with, you know, the parent can say, my child wants to leave now. And they can right. they could walk out. But that's um, a dangerous proposition out a there. A very dangerous proposition. Yeah. And when you take into account the fact that they didn't have a guardian with whom they could live to start with, 
they're really out there on their own. Right. So maybe 16 or 17, they decide they're going to leave. But but they've grown up in that prison situation completely uneducated mm-hmm. and really not learning any life skills beyond what you would live in, learn in prison. So the system really perpetuates itself because these are children who then get out and don't know any other way to earn a living. Sure. And then they think, well, the way I saw my mom do it was to... Mm-hmm carry drugs for this guy from here to here and, and you know it's really it's a very very difficult situation so through the situation and again what your what your documentary is really talking about is uh pushpa making the decision to basically open up her home and bring these children in give them a very nurturing caring development uh, based environment uh and getting them prepared for you know uh, i guess the real world and letting them grow up as traditional kids that we would expect to see um i I think what's interesting though is 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 pushba um kind of did this reluctantly like she never thought that this would be her life she never thought that this is where she would end up and when she started she just thought i have to help this one particular child and from that it led to this organization but i think her story is amazing in that she raises these kids like they're her own kids she hurts when they hurt she goes to the school she pays full tuition for each one of them to go to school because and when i asked her about that she said i I do it because when i go to the school with a problem i want to be treated like every other parent and it really pains her in fact in the movie she says you know i wish that i I wish often that the parents would never come back but the reality is they come back and i cry when they leave you know and so it's um it's it's just such a uh, a giving and unbelievably compassionate position that she puts herself in and, and that she gives to these children for this period of time in their lives yeah. and some forever, but most just for a period of time. Well, as I mentioned, when we screened the film just a couple of weeks ago, it got some great response from the audience there. And I know you had a conversation on one, another one of our shows uh, in window, a lot of detail about kind of the origination of the story and how you got involved in it. Uh, Chris and I, we, we got some questions. We want to talk to you a little bit about the film itself and kind of mm-hmm. the production and the process behind it and see how it really sure. came to be. So um, I think we're, a lot of our listeners would be really curious about that. Sure. First question I've got, Chris, if you don't mind if I just jump right in sure. on some of those there. You, you told us a little bit during the screening and it may be a little repetitive. And if so, that's fine, you know, just for people listening. But is this something that have you always had a desire to do something in documentary filmmaking and kind of getting involved? Has this been a, a passion idea of yours or was it more of this subject matter and some of the subject matters that you come across inspire you to make the film which kind of came first do you think no it was um i was always interested in film and i always thought you know someday when i was a kid you know maybe i would be in a film or i would make a film or be part of one but it was it was just that it was kind of this dream that you would but when um when confronted with the issue of homelessness and then realizing the the which is a film that i've got coming out called these storied streets and when you when when I really came face to face with the humanity of this issue, mm-hmm. I thought, how do I help this? And then I was able to think, well, maybe I take this passion that I have for film and this issue and I raise awareness about it. And I, instead of, I tell people all the time, instead of uh, being the guy who shows up and hands out bottled water, let's mm-hmm. dig a well. Mm-hmm. And so my hope is that that's what the films are. They serve as this well of people who say, gosh, I can do something about that. I can get more involved or whatever. So, Pushpa's story just resonated with me because it was just someone so relatable and someone who didn't want to necessarily do this for the rest of their lives, but yet, you know, champions for these kids and advocate for these kids. And now from that, it's really kind of those types of people just resonate with me and I have to seek them out and I have to figure out why and I have to figure out maybe how we all become a little bit more like them, whether it's, you know, 
doing something as as courageous as Pushpa did or doing something much smaller but yet significant. So um, that's and I want to tell those stories. I think they're great stories for me and they're great stories for my kids who have you know different ideas of what what your life is supposed to be like. As as someone who was wanting to make this film and then once you entered Nepal and you saw your situation that you were going to shoot, what were some challenges that you faced as like, okay, here I am, I'm going to try to make this film. What were just, I know there may be <laughs> too many to actually tell, but what were some that immediately spring to your mind that you're like, okay. Well, well, the first one, first and foremost, I got the form to fill out to film in Nepal, um, which is a communist government now and been communist since early 2002, 2003, somewhere in there, uh, to basically saying you're going to do this, 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 and this, you're going to turn over all your footage. And then we're going to review the footage and we're going to determine what you can use. And so that was like the first thing is I said, how are we going to ever do this? So See? we chose not to permit. We, we went okay. in completely unpermitted. We shoot the film on these Canon 5Ds, which mm-hmm. are still cameras, essentially. And we thought, well, you know, if we get caught, at least we'll know what the inside of the prison looks like. We're going to film there. <laughs> so, you know, sure. um, but yeah, we cut, that was the first thing. And I was I was pretty I was pretty nervous about that. But I, the second thing that really struck me in pre-production when we got there was you know, the, the lack of electricity. So we were going into these conditions where you're only going to get four or five hours of power a day. And not only are you filming in four or five hours of light, you know, with, with the, with the idea that you could put lights up or do anything with lighting, Hmm. but also, um, you have four or five hours in which you have to recharge everything. You have to, you know, everything has to be done in this very short, compact period of time. And sometimes that four or five hours is in the perfect times to be shooting. So how are you going to, how are we going to manipulate those times and what, how are we going to stage that in a way that was most productive? And as a documentarian, you know, I know sometimes there are windows of opportunity. And did you see certain situations that maybe passed that window of opportunity because you were limited by that four or five hours? There was something you wanted to do and you're like, man, that would have been great, but I know that I can't because I want to save it for something. Were there certain things that you weren't able to capture? Because- no, fortunately, the one thing that we really drove from the beginning and maybe I think most of the time it's because of our budget the one thing that documentary filmmakers typically are good at is the planning gotcha. because you only have a certain amount of time and you only and you so we planned and planned and planned and we knew that even if we had one camera available we'd always have one available okay. even if we had you know one set of mics we could always use this and so I never wanted to miss that moment because we were so far away sure. and knowing we could never get back you know to to do pickups or our budget certainly wasn't going to allow it um, we planned really well but you could easily see how somebody would go and get kind of caught in that trap or okay. easily fall into that that you know that situation. The one thing I will say though that the lack of light sometimes did um, affect because we we chose not to take any lights because mm. again you know we're unpermitted and if you show up with a bunch of lights they kind of get <laughs> it that going something's on. going yeah, on. But might tip them off. Yeah. Them. yeah. So there was some like there's some times when it was it was darker and we had some great moments but we just couldn't use them because we couldn't get it light enough or look the right way to fit so those are unfortunate well plus i know those not to get too technical but i know the dslrs like the 5ds i mean they're also maybe not you know they're not going to be as like a a, a top top level film camera for adjusting for light so you probably had a lot of challenges just working even with that smaller minimized equipment with the lighting situation too yeah yeah. i mean but the, the the there's you know there's the upside and downside of of 
those particular cameras. The upside is the imagery that you do get in the day is unbelievable. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's just so perfect. But you know, it is. It's very difficult, and 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 when it's uh, darker. Yeah. But at the same time, the stuff that we did get that was darker, um, I think it lends itself better to the story mm-hmm. because it's an appreciation of the situation. It, 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 you know, if it were perfectly lit every time, you would think, oh, they have five hours of power. Really, it looks pretty nice <laughs> to me. So, right. you know, some of that that grainy kind of grittiness part of it, and the, and we didn't we didn't do one bit of color correction to that entire oh, film. Wow. Okay. Uh, because I didn't want it to feel like it was. It was so beautiful by itself that mm-hmm. I thought, why, why try to manipulate it in any way that doesn't really reflect the true experience that we had? Well, I, I got a shout out to the the guy who helped you, Francois Caillot. Yes. Yeah, I when watching the film specifically, I wish I could remember the young lady's name that he was. I guess you were actually doing the interviewing, but it was shot and she was in a darker situation. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But because of the way it was framed and the way it was shot, you know, I had no idea what the behind the scenes were. Well, it was yeah. because of the light situation, and it was amazing. So that yeah. I shot. He did a really good job shooting the film, and it looked spectacular. Yeah, you know, the the whole process because um, because of those the situations and kind of where you're in and. and and it really, instead of having very direct, like, you know, my 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 uh, title is producer-director, Francois is director, uh, Dan Chen is another director on the film, like we, but but it's it's merely because it's just such a collaboration of, okay, how are we going to get this done? It's like yeah. every day walking into a situation where you're literally brainstorming about how do we do this, who shoots this, how is this, you know. One of the things that you would see in the film, and this is like probably totally like... Um, calling myself out but there was parts where i would go back i went back afterwards and i re-recorded the question because we had ali sandler one of our uh producers asked the question to some of the girls who were more comfortable answering to a girl instead of a bunch of guys standing there so she would ask the question but for continuity purposes i would just restate the question that she already asked and we dropped it in but um but it was just like all hands on deck what i mean that that clearly was not her role under the you know if you go back to the to the film school guide but um yeah it was just it was everybody doing everything we had to do to to get it done what about with the editing of the film was that a fairly collaborative process or did you kind of hand it to somebody and just kind of give them the how did the editing process i'm always curious about once you've got all this documentary footage and you're trying to cram it down into a format for a story how did that process go for you? Well, I'll tell you, I've learned from my mistakes. Um, when you do the story, you get so attached to particular parts and pieces that it's really hard for you to de- detach and say, this is what the true storyline is. And so um, there's a guy who is a, is a brilliant editor, and I don't even want to say his name because everybody will go to him and start using him. <laughs> I won't really get him back. No, his name's Abai Sofsky, mm-hmm. and he lives in, uh, in Brooklyn, and he's a, just a tremendous, tremendous editor. And I took it to him and I just said, here's the footage and we've organized it and we went through it and I would love for you to look at it and tell me what you think the story is. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he did. And then it was a collaboration really just between he and I of, how, okay. okay, what is this? How do we fix this? How do we, you know, and and then uh, we took it and sat down with Jeremy Chilnick and Morgan Spurlock and showed them the rough cut. And they're like, ah, well, we think this, you know. So mm-hmm. it was just literally it was a collaboration little by little by little. Yeah to pull the best story out of there. Because there really, there was probably... 
25 great stories that you can tell with mm-hmm. all the footage that we got. But there's one best, and we think this was the best that we could have pulled from those 25. Well, and plus, too, I mean, for those who haven't seen the film, I mean, it's not only a biography of Pushpa and, and a little background story of the, of the center she set up, but it also follows some of the kids that are affected by this. And you had three to five really good in-depth stories of these, of these kids. We learned a little bit about each of them, some a little more than others, but uh, – I, I would imagine you guys probably had tons of those kids and stories. It's just finding the ones that you felt best exemplified the story you're looking to tell. That's got to be a challenge as well. So. Yeah, you know, every every one of those kids has a unique story, and every one of those kids comes from a situation that you would just listen to and say, oh, my God, I can't, you know. But but what really what it came down to is we wanted to show every fr- the thing from Prashna, who was the little boy who we you saw us take out of prison. I was there the day yeah. when we were shooting it literally on our – we were shooting that on a, uh, on a cell phone because we weren't supposed to film anything in there. <laughs> and um, – to that little boy to, you know, Manju, who's 17 years old. And, you know, and, and so we wanted it to be a scope. We wanted it to be boys and girls. We wanted it to feel like, you know, everybody was represented for, from one end of the spectrum to the other. And what Pushpa was able to give each one of them was different. Yet at the same time, they all had this complete admiration and love for her. So, But the stories, I mean, there's a story of a little girl that didn't make the film. This little girl was in prison with her father because her father had killed her mother. And then there was another woman in prison across the way in the same prison as where she was. Mm -hmm. And this woman adopted her from her father so she could come over to the women's side of the prison because she knew she was safer there than she was in the men's prison. Wow. So in, I mean, it's like those kind of stories, you're like, oh my gosh. And then she found Pushpa and said, you know, and told, but that little girl considers that. I mean, that's my mom. That's that's my mother. So there were so many great stories like that. We couldn't have possibly told them all. And we wanted to keep it we wanted to make it a short. We wanted it to be less than 40 minutes. We wanted it to tell Pushpa story. And the reason really was we wanted it, all of those stories to complement or tell you a little bit more about Pushpa. Yeah. So each time you learned about a child, you learned about another facet of her life that was interesting and, and revealing, I guess. Well, that's a great way of summing that up because I, I felt the same way. I actually felt like I learned more about Pushpa by hearing the kids' stories. Yeah, you know, Pushpa's in the film. I mean, she talks a lot, but she's not the overwhelming character in it necessarily talking on screen. It's all the kids talking about that relationship. And I think it did paint a much, much fuller picture of her. Well, and I think because of her personality, she is not one that will ever tell you the downside of what's going on or the, the real, she, every, you know, she's a very upbeat and, you know, and so even her sister saying, you know, Pushpa got knocked down a lot when she was a kid and Mm -hmm. she always rose up and, you know, walked away and these kids. So, that perspective of you know she sees herself in these kids was really interesting that we would have never gotten from from yeah. just you know more conversation just interviewing her. her by herself right yeah. gotcha how long were you guys in nepal filming this uh so i went over in pre-production and we shot on there's some of the shots you'll see they look real grainy on a mini camera or whatever but i was over for three weeks and then i came back and then we went over for four and a half weeks so about seven and a half weeks total that we were there Mm -hmm. but it was it was good because we knew exactly we didn't have to go far we knew exactly the story that we wanted to tell and it was just more 
figuring out a schedule and how do we how do we tell this in the most effective so you weren't way. going over there and having to spend a lot of time with research and thinking through it's like you kind of already knew what you wanted to get it was yeah. really get over there ground hit the ground running and just hit the day planning each day right and we you know and i skyped with pushba and, and so she would have it on her phone and i would even get like the idea of what was around me before we even got that's there. really so, cool yeah, I mean, yeah it's a little, yeah. little use of technology you don't think of in a situation right. like that that's right. amazing Very yeah cool. it was great yeah so all right the film's done. You've shown it a few places already. I know several screenings you've had and all. I'm curious because, because we work in, in the same corporate video and some other things. I know how I am. Anytime I help shoot or edit something, I don't really like watching stuff that other people have done because it either makes me feel really, really good or really, really bad. And I don't want to feel really, really bad. Do you find yourself, okay, now that this film's done, you've worked on a couple others, you've got another one coming out soon. Do you find yourself watching other documentaries at all or do you tend to avoid them now because you find them yourself too critical or what? You know, I, I, I love watch because I think people have take different angles at so many different things and it's interesting to me to see how they've chosen to tell a particular story. And so I like to watch them and I like to, I also like to see, you know, honestly, I like to see what they produce with, you know, 10 times the budget that we had to okay. produce it. Cause I All think, right. wow, we, you know, it, it, it you know, it kind of makes me feel good. Like, sure. wow, okay. look how much it costs them. And, you know, we have just as nice of shots in some cases. So, yeah. uh, but I think it's, I, but I, what you, you find, I think typically with documentary filmmakers is nobody's making any money. Mm-hmm. There's not anybody out there. I mean, with uh, Michael Moore still makes a lot of money and Morgan Spurlock has done amazing and that being said, nicest guy in the world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it truly is a collaboration of people who, when you go to the Traverse City Film Festival, you'll see people with exchange of ideas and equipment and talking about this or talking about that or if you need help on this. I mean, I just called one of the guys the other day to help with a shoot up north somewhere. And, you know, and he's like, oh, I know a guy who can hook you up with this or that. And so I think it becomes this... I don't want to say club, but it becomes a very tight network of people who are simply just trying to help others. So yeah. if I can get, you know, the story out about Dawn Porter's new film, you know, Spies of the Mississippi, that's going to be on PBS, then great. You know, I should mm-hmm. do that. And she'll mm-hmm. do the same for mine and she'll help promote mine. You know, and so it's 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 actually a really nice, close knit community of people. Well, and I guess that goes to say that it seems like documentary filmmakers they're not in it for fame and glory. I mean, it's, you know, nobody's going to become maybe the Michael Moore's of the world, but nobody's going to become this world famous person from making great documentaries necessarily. So it seems like there is probably more of that deeper good that you're trying to do by telling people stories and getting attention to a good story. So maybe that kind of helps build a little bit of that community that you're talking about is well, I think, I think most documentaries, not all, but most documentaries, you never see the person making the film in the film. True. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like ours, you to, to kind of turn the corner on some of these, you will hear the question because we didn't get whatever, but, but you don't see us in the film. Yeah. Like we're not, we're not part of the film because I don't want to be part of somebody else's story. I want their story to really stand and live on its own because it's their amazing things that they've done, not something that I've done to. I think it trivializes important issues for me to have somebody else in there looking at it saying, well, here's what I think. Well, I don't really care what you think. You yeah. know, I want to hear what Pushpa <laughs> yeah. thinks. I want to hear sure. what these kids think. So, you know, that being said, you're certainly not in it then for the, mm-hmm. for the glory of it, or you'd move around to the other side of the camera. Yeah. Um, but you know, in other cases, Morgan Spurlock's a great example. I think he tells the story very, very well because 
he is in it mm-hmm. and he brings all of this pain on himself right. and the, you know and so you can see it through his eyes and he's every guy's guy right he's yeah. a good looking guy and everybody can relate to him and so that's a very effective way for him to do it as well so it, it's different styles but i think in in the end everybody just wants to tell a good story about something that's true that to raise awareness of an issue to raise awareness about a subject or to raise awareness about a particular environment that's important to them or that they think should be told and that people should know about. Mm -hmm. Talking about raising awareness, how does Nepal, the government of Nepal, how how do they feel about you? Have they seen your film and how do they feel about Waiting for Me? So, yeah, so that was one of the other... (laughs) You know, I was wondering if somebody would come from Nepal and say, hey, you didn't permit. You (laughs) owe some money. Um, That hasn't happened yet. But, no, the government actually has been very pleased with the film. They haven't haven't seen the whole thing, but they know the promotion that it's got. They've seen the clips and all of that. And so... um, and the reason being is because I never call out their government saying, look what you're doing to these kids. I never try to indict them for you know the way that they are treating children because I know that it's, it's not a choice that they unfortunately have. Right. It's just a situation that they have, that they're doing the best that they can. And so in helping Pushpa, I really am helping their government and raising awareness that helps her move forward with a hopefully a bigger house and a bigger center and you know whatever it's helping them because now they have an outlet where they can send more of these kids so um they've been very receptive in fact we're doing a screening in new york we're having people from the nepalese uh the u.s embassy that represent nepal are coming to the screening i've been invited to come back to nepal and meet the president of the country so i mean yeah it's like you know now that may be where they handcuff me (laughs) i don't know but yeah yeah. (laughs) but uh no i think i think it's been very very well received and you know i've it's uh i think it's all been very positive well it's a good point of what you said too i mean throughout the film yes i mean we see we see the situation in nepal and yes it's a little harrowing in some places we see what the prison looks like but the film is never comes across as an indictment of the country you know it's just this is just the culture that's evolved here this is just where they are it's seen i think you did i think the film did a great job of really pointing out that the country has some economic troubles and issues and that's unfortunately hampering the ability to how they can take care of some of their citizens and how they can provide power across uh, day long so I thought the film was pretty even-handed that it didn't point any fingers at anybody as being the bad guy in the film. It was mm-hmm. really just, here's the situation we're in. Here's somebody who decided she was going to do something to help improve it. And I think right. that was really well done. Yeah, it seems like that was a choice because it would be all too easy to demonize the country. You yeah. know, right. To try to do right. that. And you know, instead, you're like, here's the situation. But you focus, thankfully, on the positive and what Push was trying to do. And that was... Well, you know, and and so to push his credit too, she works with a lot of the, you know, prison officials and officials Mm -hmm. in areas so that they know that she's available and they seek her out now as much as, you know, she seeks out these children. It used to be that, you know, she talks about the one child that is still her, um, as she calls it. It's an interesting way that she phrases it, but there's the one that got away. There's the one child that she didn't get and it still pains her just to look at the picture Hmm. because the government didn't understand what she was trying to do. But... That's changed now, like now, especially when you win the CNN Hero Award, right? But I think it's changed now in that they do understand what she's trying to do. They come there, they see what she's doing, and they think, oh, this is a better way. This is what we should be doing. We need to find outlets for this. But at the same time, they're very, very tight in that they don't want this to become something that is exploited. And so they want Pushba to lead that cause and be that person who, who if there is another center like hers open that that she 
helps. And, you know, mm-hmm. it'll probably be, honestly, it'll probably be the older girls who live with her that open the next center somewhere else. I can totally see that. Yeah. 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 Actually, I see some of the girls that were in the, the film, the older ones, I think yeah. they had really gained a lot of a perspective on things from Pushpa and their experience there. Yeah. I could totally see that. So, so Thomas, what are you what what are you working on now? What's what's some things coming up? I know you mentioned uh, these storied streets as being something you're working on there. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a we actually started shooting that documentary a couple of years ago, far before I ever shot Pushpa's doc. And so we we edited it, and we didn't we liked it, we didn't love it, and so mm-hmm. we went back and we pulled it all apart, and now we're re-editing it, and uh, we put some. And it's completely, that's the one I really learned my lesson on. So mm-hmm. one of the guys who worked in the production of the film did the editing. Exactly. And it wasn't until we did this one where we pulled ourselves away. And then I said, I said to Abai, take a look at this footage. And then he found the story that wow. was not as apparent to us because we were just simply too close to it. So, um, so we're re-editing that. And that's going to be really impactful i think and then i just it's about homelessness right yeah so we went from la to new york profiling america's homeless and it it, we don't shy away from any of the issues but what was really interesting is to find out that 70 percent of the homeless population you would never know is homeless and you see these stories of families and kids and addicts and everything Mm -hmm. i mean it's across the board and and even the people who you think you know Unfortunately, in our in our society, we have this idea that somebody is deserving of being homeless, and and, and I think that even that person with that mindset will change their mind when you see this addict and you hear him tell his story of, you know, he's in a truck accident in Eastern Tennessee and he was a high dose painkillers and that led to heroin Mm -hmm. addiction, and you suddenly look at it and say, wow, that could be my kid, that could be anybody, Mm -hmm. you know. So that's completely. I think it'll give a real clear view of the issues and the issue of poverty in our country. Unfortunately, there are people who are homeless just because they're poor and they work full-time jobs and they still don't make enough money to live in a house. So, and then I just, uh, I got back, I shot a, um, couple of episodes of what we hope will be an environmental series in Indonesia. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, one was on gold mining, these children gold mining in Indonesia and, and the really hard life that they live and, and the loss that they uh, incur um, from from mining gold, which frankly most of it's just, you know, for jewelry and cosmetic. Yeah. And then wow. and the other one was on uh, on the lead contamination where Indonesia has become this dumping ground for batteries and they drop off lead batteries and you see these kids knocking the tops off of batteries and pulling the lead out by hand and smeltering them in these to to sell back to battery companies to you know the lead and and the you know they're they're poisoning themselves and their families but they're in just such dire situations to to make a living and to survive that that's what they do. Well, Thomas, I'd say I was excited to see your next films, but uh, Pushpa got me in a good way emotionally just because it was such an inspiring story and to see the kids in there. Uh, the, the films, the, the things you're working on now are probably going to make me upset and mad. So uh, no, you know, I look forward to seeing is, it, but you know, uh, the, the one yeah. thing I think, you know, you say that, but the thing that we have in both of those other films, yeah. so the homeless one's a little bit different, but in both of the, the episodes in Indonesia, the one thing we always search out and find is that one champion. We find that one person who no matter what those odds are, right. and, you know, with one guy in the lead poisoning, we're standing there with them. And I said, you know, if you do this, you may go to prison. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I know. We're going to do this. Like, it's that wow. important. Okay. And you see that, and you're like, wow, man, these guys are willing to give up. Just like Pushback, they're willing to give up everything wow. for this, for these kids who are playing in this 
park for you know that are being contaminated by this lead and so that's what i like so we work there's an educational component that'll come out about each of our film with a there's an organization in new york called uh, facing history and ourselves it's a really long title but they have this thing called upstanders and pushba fits that and these guys fit that as somebody who said no you know what I'm going to do something about this and yeah. decide that they're going to... I'm not going to lay down. I'm yeah, they're going to try to basically yeah. change the course of history wow. by themselves. And so I think that uh, that's the message that I want people to see is that, you know, you think that all of these things are insurmountable, but do something, right? The yeah. great thing about homelessness, unfortunately, is even though I am not smart enough to figure out the cure for cancer... I can walk out my door and do something about homelessness today. Like yeah, I can walk true. out and be part of a solution. And so because I can, I must. I, I have to be engaged. And that's what I hope it brings people to. I hope it brings them to that yeah. point where they say, i got to do more than just give $5 to my church and hope that that pays for somebody to have a meal. So yeah. One of the things that we typically do on our podcast towards the end is we'll have like recommendations and we want to encourage everyone to seek out waiting for Mamu and also these storied streets when it comes about we want people to see that thomas there are probably you've probably seen more documentaries than i will ever see in my life because <laughs> i'm imagining you know it's it's what you do what are some that you think maybe people haven't heard of but you would encourage people to seek out well, i'll tell you there's a brilliant brilliant filmmaker that i really like her work her name is dawn porter and she did a it was on hbo this summer called gideon's army and it's about public defenders and that system of public defenders and it's really really well done and i i just think it's a fantastic and she's got a film coming out called spies of the mississippi that'll be on pbs that i just like the way that she does the work and the way that it looks and the way that it feels is is just really raw Okay. And it's and I I like that I like it when it feels I like it when it hurts like a little bit and you're like oh my god but then you also realize this is a system that we've created uh, you know the other films that I like that aren't nearly uh, there's a there's a film out called Inequality for All Robert oh, yeah. Reich did that's yeah. that's a great film and I met Robert Reich and when I was in Traverse City great guy there's a guy in Charlotte that did a great film Jeff Howlett did a great film called A Band Called Death. Oh, and I don't know if you know that yep. film, but he's a, that guy lives in yes. Charlotte. He's a really okay. he's a, oh, he's a he terrific. Yeah, he's a terrific. We had that on our short list of something to screen just recently. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, he's. Uh, but you you can you should you should call Jeff and, and get him to come and mm-hmm. and, uh, and do that. But it, that's a that's a cool film. So I mean, there's a lot of great there's a lot of great documentaries out there, and there's a great documentary that I that I think is really cool to watch. It's called uh, Beware of Mr. Baker. It's actually on uh, iTunes right now, and and I think it's on uh, whatever, but. It's the ginger. It's the Ginger Baker documentary, um, and a guy named Jay Bolger was the director, and Abai Sosky, my editor, was actually a producer and editor on that film. But it uses uh, in it to to the the historical parts that you couldn't possibly capture now on film are done in an, just a really cool animation that hmm. is so real that you watch it and it's it's just a really interesting way that they've done it. But and that guy's just a crazy character too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, that one South by Southwest, I think last year, but it's a it's a really really good film. Okay. And the Entrepreneur, I got to say this: the Entrepreneur is a great. Okay. documentary you can you can download that on itunes okay. uh it's the story of uh malcolm bricklin who i know who malcolm was the guy he was the last guy that i was trying to do the deal for when i left uh investment banking believe it or not um okay. but malcolm brought the subaru into the united states he brought the yugo into the united states he's a fascinating fascinating guy yeah. but it's really the roller coaster ride of his life oh, and wow. it is 
so well done. It's really, awesome. it, and it's funny and it's like heartbreaking and it's, it's everything all at once, but it's a great, great film. Excellent. That is very, very, do you think with, uh, with so many online avenues nowadays for watching films and all, I mean, is that, is that a, a good, is that a good future for what you see the documentary world? I mean, I know me personally, I see so many more documentaries than I probably ever had a chance to live in here in Western North Carolina just because of the online distribution and different channels there. Is that something you think the documentary community is excited about, or do you see that as still maybe a little trepidation there? You know, I think that it's still so new that it's a little, there's a definitely trepidation. I think that the, it, because it's such a great outlet and there's so many potential, um, watchers and, mm-hmm. and, and people to consume your product that uh, it's great the, the problem still seems to be with vod and any of these kind of things is that there's no way to know how many people really did download it there's yeah. you know like it, there needs to be something where almost like facebook where people like it and they mm-hmm. push the button and you can see it and then it's so slow to pay yeah, uh really. yeah so like for example you know you may enter into an agreement for with a company and they say well we pay out quarterly and then it's 60 days beyond that so if somebody buys on the very first day of that long you know you're five months out before oh, wow. you're getting wow. anything Jeez. and you don't know how much it you know so that's that part needs to be definitely worked out that's the downside of uh, vod but i think it's because it's so new i think it's yeah. because that they just haven't really got their arms around the technology but somebody will come up with a way and, and then that will be the place where filmmakers go and once they figure that out then all bets are off i mean i'll be the first to say that i mean as much as i love netflix and some of these other services just about every time i watch a film there especially a smaller independent film one of the first thoughts going through my head is all right so i wonder if the artist is really benefiting at all from me watching it on netflix for yeah. my nine dollars a month and you know, I think from an exposure standpoint, sure, I guess it's good. More people are seeing your film. More people are hearing your message. But it costs money to make these things. I right. mean, I guess that, that right. would be the downside. Is, right. Know. I mean, trust me, there's a filmmaker on the other end thinking the same thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I hate to think that yeah. basically he's getting a penny and a half from me for me watching this film. But I don't know. It's got to be the trade-off. I guess yeah. that's how many you, know, you balance between how many people can see it versus – getting some sort of financial compensation. You know, and honestly, it's still better. It's still better than the alternative of putting it in a DVD box and hoping oh, that yeah. it gets on a shelf yeah. somewhere in yeah. a, you know, an independent um, uh, store. It just it, that nobody will watch it that way. At least right. this way you have some some chance. And I think that the more exposure that what's really become interesting, though, is not just the VOD, but it's become all of the social media that promotes that VOD and drives those numbers mm-hmm. to to the particular film and good or bad you know sometimes you go and you're like wow they really did a great job of their social media but their film stinks but yeah. you know but it's still it, it's still an avenue to get people engaged and and get them to watch the films but i think more and more people are watching documentary films now because they just want to see the truth. Yep. You know, the media has become so crazy and you don't ever know what truth mm-hmm. looks like or what the slant is or is it political or is it not political or whatever. And so I think people are turning to documentary films to say, I just want to know the full story. I don't want the sound bite. I want to know exactly what happened. And so it's it's great for the industry. Um, now if people would just pay for it, it'd be great. <laughs> well, and, and I'm not at all trying to draw a parallel, but I think there is a driving force behind it too. You look at all of these reality shows on TV, which, you know, 95% of them are just horrible. I mean, I just, you know, don't enjoy watching them at all. 
But I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a culture of people around us that are getting more and more used to wanting to see what they perceive to be real stories. Now, reality TV, I guarantee most of it's still pretty put on. But I think we are acclimating the society to want to see more of those real stories and see the true stories and realizing that entertainment doesn't have to be this manufactured, dramatic, scripted thing. You know, it can be something a little more raw and authentic. Yeah. So in a way, I guess you know, reality shows – may not be doing the best for our society, but I think they are getting people more acclimated to want to watch things like documentaries. Well, and I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a huge educational value to these things as well. And so when you see the actual system and you see the way that it works and you're in a high school or you're in a college and you see these things as, you know, you see the students watch them as well and the questions that they have and all of this, that exposure starts conversations that would have never taken place before. Mm -hmm. And I think that for parents who you know, want to educate their kids, but at the same time, like th- this is a great way to do it in a way that's entertaining, but at the same time they're looking at it and saying, wow, what is, what is this? I can't even believe this happens. And I think, you know, it, it just strikes a different conversation and a different way that we frame society as a whole. And I think that that is far beyond the way that it's framed in the media Mm-hmm. Or it's framed in movies or, you know, where the good guy is always a great looking actor mm-hmm. or whatever. Right now, the good guy in Mamu is a short, you know, slightly overweight Nepalese woman who, yeah. you know, it's like and, and I want those to be the heroes for my yeah. kids. Sure. I don't want the hero to be the guy who's taking a bunch of steroids and can hit a ball <laughs> over the left field fence. Who cares? Right. I mean, honestly, you know, there's only a couple of those guys, but there's a lot of people like Push, but there's a lot of people who can go out and literally change the world. So why don't we promote them? Why don't we promote the people who do it for nothing? Why don't we promote the idea that you can do good and change things and you don't have to be a celebrity? So, cool. you know, hopefully that's what these films, and not just mine, everybody's films do the same thing. Yeah, I think so. Thomas, man, thanks so much for coming and chatting with us. Wait, wait, wait. I thought I played, there's a song and dance part of this, right? Oh, right. I was told well, very specifically. I've been practicing sure. for a week. <laughs> well, before before we hear your song and dance routine, which we're very excited about. Uh, I think we're running uh, out of time. How can, how can people right now uh, not only learn more about the film, Waiting for Mamu, find out how they can maybe see it at some point in the future, but also just in general, stay connected with you and find out what kind of stuff you're going into well, and plug away. at this Yeah. Point. So the, so the, the, the best way for Mamu is if you go to, uh, if you're on Facebook and you go to waiting for Mamu, there's a Facebook page. There's also a Thomas Morgan films, Facebook page. Those are great. Um, there's also the www.waitingformamu.com. If you go there, there's a donate button. That donate button is to support documentary films. It's not to support Pushpa. Okay. Uh, but if you go to Utopia Found, F-O-U-N-D, like I found Utopia, utopiafound.org, you will find a page on there to support Pushpa and her efforts. So um, what we do with all of our films, and this is a shameless plug for documentary filmmaker, but um, what we do with all of our films is we set it up in a structure where the, our investors can get a return on their money. It's not a very big return. It's typically the same as a credit card. Mm-hmm. Um, they can get a return on their money, and then that's it. And then all the proceeds beyond that point go to that cause. And so for us, you know, it's all the rest of the stuff is trivial. What's really important to us is getting the house built for Pushpa. Mm-hmm. And so this house will enable these kids to have security for their future when they've been kicked out five times in seven years. It will give her a platform by which she can build a the first international um, the uh, first building in the country of Nepal that meets the international standard will be her house. And, and so wow. all of these screenings promote 
giving the money to help her build the house. And so we need to come up with $419,000 and we're, I guess, $80,000 less than that now. But all of that stuff, that's what's important to me. Like when that's done, then I know that the film's been successful. Whether the film itself makes a dollar or not, my investors will kill me for saying that, but (laughs) ultimately that's that's the main cause of the film. So that's the message I want to send is we want to promote Pushba, her organization, and the good that they're doing. All right, so waitingformanmoon.com is one place where they can support some of the documentaries being made. Right. Uh, utopiafound.org is where they can go and choose to support directly to, to the Pushba's Push project right. there for right. the house. Okay. Right. And then so, cash checks sent to yes, <laughs> my wife. <laughs> we will put your wife's name and yeah. uh, mailing address yeah, uh, on the post with the episode here. I mean, you know, we joke, but I mean, it, this is how the stuff gets done. I mean, you know, you, you make a film. I mean, it obviously costs money to make. It's got a bigger good evolved with it and we're a a bigger thing that we're trying to achieve. So, you know, it's just getting support, you know, getting support for the filmmaking, get support for the projects, you know, so, so you guys and others can keep making these kind of films and telling these stories. I think that's the important thing. Well, and thank you for having me on and allowing me to screen and all of that. I, all of that helps promote the cause. It helps promote films and hopefully it promotes documentary films as a whole, because I think it's really important right now to see these different viewpoints and start these conversations that will lead to change. Absolutely. Well, we hope to have you back for when you're promoting the next, and it's these storied streets. These storied streets. If you go on storiedstreets.com, you'll see a very, it was early on, but a very small clip of that, you know, some of the interviews that we did in that film that are really, really impactful. Well, I imagine following uh, Thomas Morgan Films on Facebook, they can probably keep up a little bit in the coming months and or so as things happen there. So I, I am constantly on there updating yep. stuff. Excellent. And, very good. So, Thomas, thanks good. so much for coming in and talking Thank to you. us. And thanks Thank for you the screening. Much. A really great job with the, with the film. We really enjoyed it. And I've gotten a lot of great compliments from people afterwards that came to see it. Uh, really impressed with what you guys pulled off there. So, Thank you very story. much. All right. Excellent. All right. So this is a kind of an extra for Foot Candle Films. We appreciate you listening. Again, we will have all the links in the uh, show notes here that you'll be able to see with the description on both the website. And when you download this episode, just look on the notes. You'll have all the links to the websites we just talked about for where you can learn more about the film learn more about Thomas and the causes and everything else with that. And I guess, Chris, we'll return back to our normal format with our next show to uh, do some film reviews and uh, talk about some movie news as well. So. Sounds like a plan. Good. Although it'll be weird to be now be talking about, you know, like big blockbuster 3D Transformers crap sure. movies sure after this. Right. No problem. I think Scorsese's waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's actually yeah, over in the yeah. green room yeah. Yeah. Waiting, so. yeah. yeah. He told me there's no green room, right? Scorsese gets a green room. Yeah, you don't. I'm sitting up in my car like <laughs> the engine running. Hold on five more minutes you can come in. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we do get Scorsese in the green room. It's, yeah, yeah. A little, little perks uh, there. So, All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thanks. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.